Welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear Magazine's editor, and you are... Ollie Q, Top Gear Magazine's not editor, deputy editor. And also in the studio, we have... no, no Nobody no, else. No one. We've it's just driven them away. The two of us this week. But hey, dynamic duo, you know, more nimble. We can pivot on the topic. This is Gordon Murray's podcast yes as the lightweight <laughs> top gear magazine podcast right so this pod is where we pull a story from the archive um and and sort of retell it with a bit of hindsight and what's happened in the world since plenty of hindsight on this one I'd lots say. of hindsight i'm looking forward to this hindsight um so this is that time we drove a car built by a toy scooter company Ollie Q, this was your one. <laughs> it was, way back in the midst of 2018. Oh. This started out at, um, do you remember the Geneva Motor Show? Remember when that was a thing? Well, it's Which... coming back next year. Yeah, they say. Go to an <laughs> exhibition hall, look at some cars, never catch on. Um, I remember wandering around the Geneva Motor Show one day, and I saw something that looked impossibly cute. It was like a... Cookie someone clock. Had, someone... <laughs> it's a cuddly, to- cuddly bear holding a table right Now, it was... A new BMW Isetta bubble car. Whoa. But it didn't have a BMW badge on it. In fact, it had the badge on it from my old folding microscooter. So I had to investigate. You're too old to have one of those. No, I had a, I had a folding scooter. Like when, when they were cool like, first like a, time Like a around. stunt one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With yeah. the wheelie bar on the back and stuff. Nice. Yeah, I had it when they were, you know, before people were commuting on them. I had them when they were for kids. So my father-in-law has one. So if you're <laughs> listening, to, this is the podcast for you, Philip, if you're listening. <laughs> So, yeah, scooter manufacturer. What are they doing at a motor show? I investigated, and this brought me to a chap called Wim Uberter. And he is the boss of the micro-mobility company. The people who invented and patented the folding micro-scooter. There's lots and lots of copycats out there, but they were the OGs of the folding scooters. They must have a few quid. Yeah, so they got a bit of disposable income because they're on everyone's Christmas present list for a few years. But also, he never really saw the microscooter as just a toy. His life's ambition is to get people out of what he sees are stupidly over-engineered cars because he thinks that all cars are just ridiculously over the top. You know, he was talking when I met him about smart cars and how his hope for the smart car, this car you could park end onto the curb, was it was going to solve city traffic, but of course it didn't because it had to conform with all the usual safety whatnot and people wanted all this equipment. And it was engineered to go down the motorway. But you can't fit like, any stuff in it. I know, but it's, <laughs> all right, all you right, know all the right. point he's making is it's it's something that people have wrestled with for a long time, isn't it? How do you create an urban transport solution which is safer than a, a moped and a bicycle, but doesn't take up all the space of a modern car? And his thing was that was re- really where I was trying to take scooters, that scooters are a brilliant way of actually getting about town. And of course, now that you know people have caught on to electrifying them, you do see a lot of people on them. They're a scourge of many cities all over around the world. But this was a while ago, and Wim Uberter decided we can do this with a car. We can use our lightweight electric engineering expertise and our, our knack for having creating a lovely item that someone wants to own and we can make a city car. And so what they did was they basically acquired the rights 
to an Italian electric car company called Tazzari and um, and then draped a beautiful Isetta-inspired body over it with the single opening kind of fridge door at the front. Explain wide. the Isetta, perhaps, at this point. So the Isetta, BMW Isetta, the bubble car, basically was, they're often two-tone. You think of a two-tone kind of micro car, you'll think of it. It was post-war in Germany. The country's in ruins. A lot of the roads are, are wrecked as well. They need a, a cost-effective way to get the masses on the road, to get them back to work, to get people, yeah, getting the country put back together. And the Isetta was kind of like a german engineered plp50 it was it was a, it was a town runaround but it was quicker and more weatherproof than cycling and but it was it was affordable it was i guess in this country we would we had you know we had the mini and we had the reliant robin these are kind of you know the cheap small cars and in italy they had the the fiat 500 but before all that there was the Isetta. and it's always been you know an icon of an icon of you know that beautiful post war kitsch design and it was due a comeback. So they were trying to combine, how do we make a more space and kind of space efficient, friendly city car? And can we give it some retro design cues? And that brought us to the Microlino. Lovely. So this is basically what happens when a car company lets you drive a car slightly too early. Because I went and met them at Geneva and said, this thing looks fantastic. I've made a career out of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, just let us drive it. No. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't work. What are you doing letting us drive it? Yeah. <laughs> this is sort of like that, but yeah, we we I, we were very early to it. Yeah, because I'd gone and door stopped them at Geneva and said, "This looks fantastic. You've got to let's have a go in this." And they kind of went, mm, "It's not really ready. We've done the design, but it needs a lot of engineering underneath." But I sort of kept hassling them, and eventually, I'm just reading back through the story now, and there was a quote that um, Wims Uberte, one of his um, two sons, he, he got two sons. It was family um, business, Oliver and Merlin. Yeah. Great names, isn't it? So it's Wim, Oliver, and Merlin. They just decided, look, eventually you've got to stop designing cars and you've got to build something. There's always going to be stuff wrong with it, but you, at the end of the day, you just got to build something. So what they built was a plastic car with an 8-kilowatt-hour battery, good for about 120 kilometres of range, um, plastic interior, and... Fairly very, light. Yeah, exactly. It was about half a tonne. Yeah, and very little else. But that was the idea. It was just the idea was put it out there, and you know it's going to sell on the styling, but the engineering will sort later. But as soon as it was ready to roll, I was like, I want to come. I and a very drive distinctive it. thing, which is really what um, uh, draws the comparisons to the Isetta. One then thing is that that door, right? Yeah, so the, the entire front of the car the hin- hinges open. Exactly. The, whole, the, the headlights are mounted on the front of the door mirrors, which are completely useless. Well, not the, not the door mirrors, the side mirrors. So they're on pods on the side of the car, which gives it this kind of like Monsters, Inc. creature sort of look. But then, yeah, the whole front of the car, it's just like a fridge. It's just this huge door that opens with this great big chrome handle. Taking with it the wiper assembly, the steering column, it all has to be engineered to hinge in, you know, sort of multi-dodecahedral ways. It's all quite clever. And, um, yeah, and then you step straight into it onto a you know, onto a bench seat. It's a two-seat bench seat. And then you pull it closed and then you have the steering wheel arrives back in front of you yeah. where it should be and then, and then off you go. And... Um, yeah, so we headed over. It was me and uh, Richard Pardon, now photographer to the stars and uh, the Williams Formula One team. <laughs> yeah. Official photographer, but um, this was a story we shot in Zurich in 2018 because that's where um, that's where Mike Clino's base. It's where they engineered the scooters and it's where they decided to set up shop. 
doing the electric car and we turned up and just said, yeah, we're going to take out your prototype. It was one of two they had running at the time. And they gave us basically the one that was better cosmetically Mm. for the photos, um, but did warn me that there was sort of one or two three, four, okay, 250 areas in which it needed improving. <laughs> was said, one of them the wheels not falling off at high speed? Because yeah, It was a, li- yeah, a little bit ungainly. I wouldn't go that far. It wasn't wheels falling off, but it could have certainly done with a bit more damping over city streets. <laughs> the thing is in Zurich is it's all trams. So yeah. there's lots of tram tracks everywhere. So were you falling down the down the grooves. Yes. And then, you know that thing we talk about cars, tramlining, mm. where you sort of, they get sucked I'm literally into the... I'm, I was literally tramlining. <laughs> literally. Oh, just going to the station then because I don't have this... Turning the steering wheel can't really get me out of it. But what was interesting to me about this was the way... You know, we were talking about hindsight earlier. was the way the pitch of this car changed. So like I was saying, what the Ubers has wanted to do, what Micro wanted to do with this was reinvent the city car. You know, a new urban transport solution, a way of doing something that's going to really improve life for the masses. So this thing was going to be cheap. It was going to be plastic. It was going to have, what was it, an eight kilowatt hour battery? Forerunner to the Citroen Ami. Yeah, it was in that, exactly, in that spirit, in that vibe, that kind of Renault Twizy, Citroen Ami. It's going to be paired back and it's going to be, it's going to look look cool, cool, but be as cheap as possible. Exactly. But then, after we drove it, and after the pictures went on Instagram... The Top Gear Marketing Department, <laughs> a.k.a. you. <laughs> well, we didn't know the impact this was going to have, but what I was told sort of after the fact was basically they were inundated. They already had at the time, a lot. they had 6,300 orders in the bank for when the thing was finished. And they said that they were going to charge about... 10 grand for it. So it was the, even then, it, the price had inflated. It was going to be 8 grand, then it was going to be 10 grand. So they were looking at like 12,000 euros. But the the people who started requesting it weren't, you know, sort of city sort of pizza delivery people or wasn't, you know, sort of small runaround businesses or anything. It was people who lived in Monaco and wanted a tender for their yacht. It was people who wanted something to get around the grounds of their house. It was the kind of customers who buy those little car company cars, you know, those hundred grand retro electric go-karts almost. It was that customer base. They wanted it. They were like, that's gorgeous. It's fantastic. What a great piece of design. What a brilliant idea. They weren't worried about commuting in it. They just wanted it as an item. So that's why the brief kind of changed. When I drove it, they were going to sell it for 10 grand, like I say, and they were going to give away a free micro scooter in the boot with every purchase. That's all you can get in the boot because the idea was that you drive the Microlino around town and then you might do the final mile. You park that where it's convenient. Then you do the final half mile on your scooter. And that's the ultimate kind of zero emission, low traffic way of commuting. But instead, what they've done is kind of gone the other way and made it into a luxury handbag now. It's a luxury item. More like the... uh... Aston Martin Signet. Yeah, I guess so. Taking, yeah, something that's at heart, a small car, a very space-efficient car, and then just zhuzhing it. Yeah. Zhuzhing it up. I mean, Leather. some of that is safer. That's, they've made the track wider because when I drove it, it was, it had a, it's got a wide front track and it had a very narrow rear track. It, didn't have, it did have two wheels at the rear, but they were basically right together. Like, you know, when you've got your, you know, like a three-legged race, you know, at sports day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you couldn't help but treat yourself up. It was like driving a three-legged race. So you wouldn't want to do a fast lane change in it. It didn't have anything in the way of suspension travel, so it's quite bouncy. Yeah. And there was a problem where, like I said, it had a bench seat at the front, but it was plastic. So what would happen is it was left-hand drive, the one I drove, and as you went round a left-hander, 
you then slid gracefully <laughs> either into the lap of the photographer, which is slightly awkward, but Rich is very understanding, or when he wasn't there, when he was you know out dodging trams, taking photos, you slid onto the passenger side of the car, at which point your legs can no longer reach... Well, you can slightly reach the throttle, but you certainly can't reach the brake. <laughs> And your hands are prized from the steering wheel. And of course, as you then grip onto it tightly like a reflex, you then start turning it. So you sort of heave across your lane. So that was a problem. So again, they've now gone for a leather... More bolstering. Yeah, they've gone for wider tracks. They've gone for better suspension, wider tyres and leather, you know, a nice leathery seat. And if you look at it now and you can go on their website and configure it, it's a beautiful thing. The Microlino crash test dummy. Yeah, I'm almost trying... quite literally. <laughs> there was a very near tram interface. So I've just gone on there. It's actually been a while since I caught up with um, where the range has got to. And so you can start off with something called the Microlino Urban. That's 18,000 euros, right? So you can see that, you know, this is this thing has um, inflated somewhat in, in price. But God, it looks cool. Um, but you still, get a, you still get a soft closed door. You get a sport mode. I mean, you get a heater. Then there's the middle one, the Dolce, and that's 20,000 euros, and that's the one that's got the two-tone paint, a vegan leather steering wheel, and a sunroof. But the one they're selling most of is the Competizione, which is a bit silly. Yes, because, because when not... I saw pictures of this car, I thought, high-performance Competizione. You think, yeah, the Alfa Romeo 8C is this, uh, is Competizione. This track only, then? Yeah, yeah. This is the, um, <laughs> yeah, this is the high downforce spec. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but it's 22 grand. And what did you get? Well, you get that they put a, they've, they've put a bigger battery in it, so it's now got 177 kilometers of range, which again it goes completely against what the original idea was. The original idea was that it was deliberately short range, small battery, low um, low amount of resources going yeah, charge into it, it on a three pin plug and low weight. Yeah, yeah, you could charge the thing up in two hours. Yeah. That was the idea. But now, of course, because they're selling to people who want to sort of romp around in it. And but they're only going to be going from the gin palace to the to the cafe. Yeah, but they don't. These people don't have any anxiety in their lives, let alone range anxiety. So they need to know it's going to do a hundred miles on. Well, a Well, they can it's do ridiculous. the trip one hundred and seventy-seven times before they need to charge it. I yeah, think. if they're having a yeah. hell of a party and they've got to go backwards <laughs> and keep going to you know bargain booze yeah. back to the yacht. So um, yeah, they they have changed the brief, and I suppose you could argue that that is that's a shame that's not in the spirit of either the original Isetta or the Microlino that we drove first out. But at the end of the day, look, if you're in business and someone comes to you and goes, we want to re-engineer this and we want to make it a big seller, but we're going to double the price and we go, then it's, it, but it's going to make your products a success. I yeah. think most people are going to turn around and go and take the money, aren't they? And they're going yeah. to go, yeah, we, um, well, you can't, uh, I we mean, want to do that. If, if, the, if the market quite literally talks to you, and says, this is what we want. If it's this, you will sell X amount of them at this price. And you stubbornly go, no, mm. it's going to be 8,000 euros and nobody wants one. But that's my vision, yeah. you know, then, then it's, it's... Exactly. It's kind of funny. There's a parallel to this in the UK car market that we obviously are a big proponent of. We like Datchers. We like the kind of reverse snobbery of, of a Datcher, the paired back feel and the it's just a car gimmick free. The best-selling Datchers in the UK have always been the top-of-the-range ones. Yeah, it's never been the plastic bumper ones on steel wheels. Or the, the, the access models, which which car journalists were like, "Oh no, no radio." Yeah. Oh, this plastic's doing well. It exfoliates my hands as I drive along. Yeah, yeah. You know, like sandpaper. It was never that one that sold well. It's always been the one with the chrome and the touchscreen and the floor mats. That's the one they sell the most of, and you could you could apply that across the car industry, and it, particularly with small cars. Actually, people like to 
to trick them up. You know, when yep. was the last time you saw a Fiat 500 going around that didn't have, you know, the chrome on it and the, you know, the, the sort of the, the houndstooth, you know, fabric on the doors inside. People like to have, you know, just because it's small doesn't mean it doesn't can't be a luxury item. Mm. And that's the sort of the growing pains that the Mike Carina had to go through. So I think we probably do need to revisit it now. It is a luxury item and compare it to, like you mentioned, the Citroen Ami and the Renault Twizy, which obviously stayed very paired back. But then also, yeah, where does it go next the to Isetta. a... Progress report. Yeah, that. Yeah. But also, like, you look at the Fiat 500. That's got electric now and is, yeah. is much more expensive than where that started out as a as um, a people's car, I guess. So, yeah, it's, um, it's sort of interesting seeing how it completely changed their minds. Yeah. But it was such a fun day. It was a hot day. This thing's got no air conditioning. It's made of plastic, as I said. So there was probable heat stroke in there. <laughs> At times, like I said, we were being bounced into the air. It, it was pretty um, rough and ready, let's say. But we drove it for about 30 kilometers all around Zurich, um, lost 40% of a charge, um, managed to encounter a crosswind, wouldn't recommend it. Um, but as I said at the time, you know, at the time, Mike Cleaner had only built glorified planks on wheels. All of a sudden, going to a car is quite a step. And I think they did a fairly good job. And the attention, I mean, there's a shot of it that went in the mag. I parked it up next to a Lamborghini Aventador, which at the time was like the hottest, you know, one of the one of the ultimate supercars of the day. No one even looked at it. Bright yellow Aventador, totally upstaged by kind of, you know, SpongeBob's sunburnt uncle. I must say, just, just looking at these pictures again, there's some absolute zingers in here. I feel like this was this is a bit of a coming of age photo shoot for you as like a feature writer because <laughs> there's this unspoken rule at Top Gear that um, you've got the nod, you've got you've got the access to the car sorted. There's a location, there's a plan. You've got a photographer. Right now, go forth and take some interesting pictures. Now, obviously, in car journalism, the basics are you know getting shots of all the details, getting some nice tracking shots, some nice car to car, yeah. some nice cornering, you know, the basics. And then it's like, and then go and have some fun and do some do some silly stuff, basically. Yeah. Um, so uh, th there's a picture, actually, you mentioned the um, Peel P50. Mm. And I remember years ago, uh, Dan Reed did a, a great feature driving that car over in the US. Yes. And there's two pictures that stand out. One is... Him driving down a highway with the most enormous, I assume, Peterbilt truck. Big rig. Behind him. Yeah. Like, properly just blotting Dwarfing out the sun. Him. And he's, you know, he's barely, um, you know, half the size of one of the tires. And he's there sort of smiling at the camera with, <laughs> with, this, with this sort of gargantuan truck behind him. And then the other one is he takes it into a, um, into a supermarket and he's sort mm. of driving the car down the aisles, perusing the goods. Um, so you uh, very well, much took that idea and ran with it, which, which I, I was liked. inspired by that. So yeah, we found an open air. It was, like I said, it was this beautiful day in Zurich and we found a kind of an open square. There were no cars, but there were a few bikes and scooters. But, you know, yeah. a lot of people getting coffee as they do in that kind of cosmopolitan European, mm. uh, in you know, outside in the sunshine kind of way. So I was able just to basically drive in, in the Microlino. And Did you ask for permission or just... No, nah. it was it absolute ask for forgiveness, not permission. Rule, <laughs> photo shoot rules. And ordered a coffee from within the Microlino, was handed it, and then drove over to a bench where I put the coffee on the table and then drank it through the, um, through the slotted back window. You know, it was one of those... You, it's a bit of visual storytelling that, hey, this is, you know, this is a cosmopolitan ta car about town and yeah. I'm going to be a cosmopolitan guy about town. I'd say the picture of you next to the Microlino and the Aventador is, it's a little bit 
um, sort of car brochure, a bit sort of male model thing going on there. It's nice. Yeah, Don't get me wrong, but this was this was Richard practicing for you know shooting Formula One drivers. You know, he, he loves this it. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? There's a picture career. here, listeners. I'll try and describe it, but it's a head-on shot taken down the tram line. Yeah. There is a tram approaching yeah. from the back of shot. The Mike Colino is sort of running away from it, but you can literally see the tires stuck yeah. in the grooves of the rails. Yeah. You, you're not was, going anywhere. Yeah. You, you basically outrun that tram or you're dead. Yeah, Those beat it options. to the end of the line and then get out quickly. Uh, there's a game of, um, uh, there's wow, there's you doing a bunny hop on a micro <laughs> That's scooter. That's the free scooter that comes in the back. Like I said, you've got a free micro scooter by the Micro Mobility Company in the boot to complete the final mile. I hadn't done a bunny hop on a scooter from for some years. Nice, still this got shoot, it though. But hey, look at the airtime on that. There's fresh air under those wheels, <laughs> I tell you. And then you see, you, you managed to find a friendly game of um, ping pong. Yeah, so um, we playing what we out the discovered <laughs> is that the reason that these guys are based in Zurich is that well, flipping heck is Zurich hipstatastic. <laughs> and there's, you know, a lot of open air bars, open air coffee shops, and then like those sort of open air pop up like, hey, come to this bar. We've got we've got open air table football and air hockey and ping pong. But again, it's like can we do this without getting out the car? So, of course, the mic cleaner has its peel-back sunroof. I stood up on the plastic seats and played table tennis from inside the car, which we've got a photo. It's important uh, consumer testing this stuff. Yeah, you as is it, crashing you know. a photo shoot of someone else's photo shoot that was going on involving some lovely models who were all dressed in red the mic Colino was and so red you, you sort so of drove past and the uh, honestly, photographer said Right, that car in my shoot now. I promise you, yes. <laughs> it wasn't, it, it absolutely was not rehearsed. It wasn't planned. We were looking for sort of really tiny alleyways yeah. that you wouldn't ever consider driving a normal car down that was just, you know, just for like walking and cycling only. We wanted to park the car in a preposterously narrow alleyway where I had no hope of yeah. opening the door or something. Full Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just to kind of do a bit of visual storytelling that it is mm. that small. And we just happened down this one alleyway and there was, you know, sort of a candid model photo shoot going on and they all kind of squeed at the <laughs> cuteness of this car and next thing I knew I was being roped in for my first modelling job there we go and so far the last unbelievable yeah it's weird that that took off um, no do you know what it's interesting because cars like this we, we've mentioned a lot of them there um, Fear 500 has obviously taken off in a big way but then that is a car with back seats and a boot it sort of straddles the line between um you know, a kind of bigger super mini like a Ford yeah. Fiesta, and then and then you go all the way down to these Twizzies, Ammies, um, the Microlino or or what it became. Mm. And it's definitely it's a genre of car that has long perplexed designers and entrepreneurs because it just makes so much sense. If you drive around a city, mm. what do you do? There's not enough space, you sit in traffic, parking's a nightmare. Mm. Um you know, if you're if you're driving a petrol or diesel car, you're just burning burning fuel, just getting nowhere. Um, electric cars do make sense in that regard, but they've never quite taken off. And I think the root is in that bit that you said with Datchers that we all love the Bogo one, mm. but actually we all quite like creature comfort. So while this looks cute, makes so much sense, you can zap about in it. I think when you if you if you park that next to a B-segment SUV and say, which one would you like to drive to work every day? Yeah. This, it sort of falls into the novelty category rather than the one you Yes, which is why they've, exactly, they've embraced that and gone, Mm. we're not going to be someone's only car. They're not going to trade in their bike and own this. So what we'll do is we'll lean into the, the, it being someone's 18th car. 
And although that's perhaps a shame that, you know, we're not all running around in them, like you say, urban mobility solutions, you know, everyone from Gordon Murray the Toyota, to Carver. Oh, you know, yeah, all these that, things. Oh, yeah, the Carver, yeah, yeah. the IQ, the, you, know, you know, the Smarts, which again, they've Smart had to reinvent themselves as yet another, like, you know, electric crossover brands because mm-hmm. no one bought the really clever one. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's this irresistible thing, you know, this irresistible nut to crack, isn't it? And I don't blame Mark Lino for, for sort of changing the brief of the car, but it was, it was really fascinating to try it when it was in its rawest form exactly when it was when it was when it was humble yeah. before it got cool and hey <laughs> if you're thinking of starting a um <laughs> a sort of flawed uh, car company give us a call because we are available for i'll testing, come and appraise it for you um consultancy um and Heat who stroke. knows you might sell a few at triple the price you initially once it's gone of. on our instagram yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um lovely stuff right well um that, that's a hell of a memory. I need to go to Zurich, yeah. by the sounds of it. Where it's happening, I need to go back. I'm looking at these since. pictures. I need some some of that outdoor coffee lifestyle. <laughs> Preferably not hanging out the summer. I need to get back in touch with Mike Colino, I think. I think it's time. They've had long enough to sort it out now, to sort out the throttle response that was off Windows 95 and to, 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 to make it justify the money. So I reckon, yeah, stay tuned. I'll probably be one of these appearing in Top Gear again before long. Good. Um, if you're listening on Spotify... Uh, Go underneath the pod. Um, there's a functionality where you can comment and um, and get involved, basically. So let us know what you think. Would you do you live in a city or not? Would you drive one of these microlinos around? You can go on topgear.com, by the way, and read the story under the title Toy Story Driving the Adorable Microlina EV and have a have a good look. And then you can go on Micro's uh, website and check out what the car has. Um, become but let us know because i think they are adorable they're the cars that we love to rave about they make so much sense but really would you buy one yeah do they dissolve on contact with the real world yes right let's scoot off <laughs> oh, boom tish can't be that ending catch on the next one thanks for listening Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jack says, subscribe. Subscribe.